back to the audible John Kajemi. I can see you, John. I know, this is I great. Almost forgot, almost forgot what you looked like. <laughs> it's nice to see you're clean shaven. I thought maybe you'd have one of those COVID beards going on like a lot of other people. I like your, your choice in shirt though, Bo. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what? Uh -huh. I only wear what they give me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> it if it's to, free, it's for us. Comes to buying, I, who knows what I'm wearing, but if they're that's right. me, that's, that's what I'm wearing. So well, anyway, good, we're, we're, we're back with the Audible. It's nice to be on the air, it's nice to uh, hope I hope we have our fans see us and hopefully as we go along we can have more interaction with them as we move along with this kind of uh, video version of the audible back being on in, in front of people and I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't want to see our, our pusses on the uh, on the air but uh, that's that's too bad it's, you're gonna have to see us and that's just the way it is you know what it's actually fun to to correspond with somebody and, and talk about football it seems like we've been on uh, you know out of, out of the media's uh, spotlight for about four or five months now and talking with uh, friends and families. You see people at Publix, you've got a mask on, you're, you're trying to talk through your mask. So this is, this is much better for you and I, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt about it. Hey, we've got a good show lined up today. Uh, we're gonna start off with kind of news around uh, the league. Uh, you know, normally we'd have guests right now, but uh, you got the rookies in being tested uh, prior to training camp started. Starting training camp starts on July 28th for everybody in the league. Now, I just saw moments earlier that uh, I think it's the San Francisco 49ers have pushed their start date back a couple days. And, and I think depending on where teams are, John, you may see a little shift, a little movement here and there uh, with how things go. I don't, I don't think anything right now is set in stone. No, and I, I think that's pretty fluid for every football team, you know, whether you go from college football to the NFL, to locally, at high school levels. Everybody's kind of in that flux right now where you're not sure where you're going to start, when you're going to start, how long you're going to go. But the good thing is, I think each at every level, uh, they've given themselves a little bit of pad in terms of time. With the NFL especially, now that they've eliminated what would be four preseason games down to two, now zero preseason games, I think they're going to have a little bit of a blend of OTAs, uh, learning via Skype, learning yeah. in meeting rooms, uh, getting in shape, and then finally putting helmets on and going out in practice. I think that gives each NFL team plenty of time to get to know you, yourself as a team, get to know your assignments, get to know, and be more acclimated to being an NFL football player if you're a rookie, number one. And then for the veterans to mix in, uh, kind of get their schemes down on both sides of the football. And then after probably a good 18 to 20 days, finally get into the rigors of a regular practice with pads. So I think that the planning on the NFL in terms of time and the way they're gonna go roll out in, into September when the regular season starts, it gives them some flex there with, with the scheduling. Yeah, I, you know, uh, you know the, the, the preseason games to me have been, if, to me over the years have gotten to be more, you know, two would be enough, especially if you did those pre-practices, we practice against those teams for a few days, then play. And, and, and But this has forced it to, to really no preseason games. And I think really, you know, with the no preseason games, it, it gives them a lot. It, it, it kind of, before that, the, before those 18 or 20 days of padded practices that they're going to have leading into the start of the regular season, I think it'll give them time to make up for what they lost in the off season. Like you talk about OTAs, you know, get learning, get some of these young guys, and John, I think one of the other things that's important, and it's, you know, it's important, I think it's helpful, 
But it's also disappointing is that they've taken rosters and dropped them from 90 players to 80 players. Now, I understand it because you can get more reps for the guys that are going to be playing. You can accelerate the pace at, of learning and how, and how things go. Um, but, you know, there's 32 teams out there, 10 guys, uh, 10 guys per team that aren't going to get the opportunity to, to fulfill their NFL dream. So 320 guys out there that aren't going to be able to go to training camp because of, uh, of the COVID virus that we're all dealing with. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate because, John, you know, some of those guys in that 320-player group would, would, would make a team, and who knows, one or two of those guys may become a pro bowler. Some of them may become Hall of Famers. We've seen it before over the course of the NFL, but well, it's just a, it's a tough time when you've got guys that have worked, prepared, and hoped to get into an NFL camp after their college season only to find out uh, that they're going to be on the outside looking in. And it's, it really is a shame. Lost opportunity for a lot of guys that have NFL caliber talent. Yeah. I, I think that's what it comes down to. Look at the way the Miami Dolphins built their roster last year. There were a lot of guys that no one knew who their names were, what, they, what college they attended, uh, what their level of expertise was as a corner, as a linebacker, as an offensive lineman. And they ended up playing and playing significant snaps for the Miami Dolphins. And now they've turned their no names into, into, into resources that are going to be depended upon in 2020. You lose that opportunity for 320 guys. Now, I'm not saying that 50% of those guys are going to make rosters, but that 10 to 12 to 15%, uh, it maybe not have made the Miami Dolphins roster, but they may have been good enough to make the Cincinnati Bengals, or they may have been able to, you know, go to Seattle and be able to uh, fit a niche that Pete Carroll was looking for. So well, there's look, a lot of lost opportunity. Look, look at Preston Williams, the prime example. Here's a guy that really came into training camp, really wasn't on anyone's radar, so to speak. Uh, but then as soon as he started playing, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you start to see something and you got in the preseason game. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but look, that, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's life this year and who knows how it's going to go. But, um, you know, it's just nice to see that they're getting started uh, and, and getting going. Now, uh, we're going to do our X's and bows. We're going to talk about the running backs a little bit. Uh, the Dolphins have all their rookies signed. Robert Hunt just signed. Uh, the last guy to sign his contract. So they've got all their rookies under, uh, under contract, which is a good thing. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa has been here. Um, he's ready to get to work. He talks about him being healthy. So I think as we go into training camp, John, with this roster, and I think this training camp and coming out of this training camp and playing the way that the coaching staff wants, the fans want, they want, is going to be difficult on this team, John, a little more because, man, there's just been so much turnover in this football team, beginning with last year, where they just kind of, you know, took a lot of starters, a lot of, you know, a lot of big-time players, jettisoned off to other teams via trades or whatever, uh, and brought in a lot of – we had a lot of people coming in and out of the door last year during the season, and you had a big change in this roster during the offseason. So there's a lot of new faces, a lot of people that haven't meet, met each other yet, a lot of people haven't been with each other. You got a whole offensive line to reshuffle. You got almost a whole defense that looks quite different than it did last year. Um, and other than probably the wide receiver position and tight end, you got a lot of changes being made on the offense. So um, there's a lot of work to be done for this football team for them to get off the start that they want to when they face New England in September. 
I think there is a lot of work, Bo, but, but I do think this team starts ahead of where the Miami Dolphins started last season because of the way they strengthened this roster in free agency and in the draft. Now in the draft, you feel like you've, you've improved your offensive line on paper. We're hoping that that happens quickly yeah. enough in training camp that week one, that some of those rookies are, are up to play and can play a full NFL season. But especially on the defensive side, I think we're much better at defensive end. You've got guys that have NFL experience. We're much better at the linebacker position with Kyle Van Noy. I mentioned, you know, on the edge, you have Ogba and Lawson that, that are two guys that, you know, can just put a Miami Dolphin uniform on and play. And if they play up to their expectation or even close to it, it's going to be years better than it, what it was last year at the beginning of the year. At corner, you're going to have two of the most dynamic corners in the league, hopefully, play for the Miami Dolphins in tandem. So that strengthens your defense. So I, I think when you, when you started with the X's and bow and you talk about running backs, I, I think that's where the Dolphins have to find a way to use that nucleus to, to match what they did on defense and free agency, to kind of match what they're hoping to get at the offensive line and the running back uh, and the wide receiver core. Because you've got two guys in, in Jordan Howard and, and, and Matt Breida that give you a little bit of something different. And I think you, you haven't really scratched the surface with a guy like a big guy like Kalen Balazs. You don't know really what he is and, and how he's going to fit now in, in, this, in this season in 2020. And you still have two young guys on the roster in Laird and Gaskin and Perry that you, know, you, you draft in the seventh round that are a little bit different, but they're all dynamic in their own way. They all have speed. They all can catch it. You're hoping Perry can kind of catch on and, and be something in special teams. So I, I think there's a good one-two punch at the top of that list with experience and speed and power that can do a little bit of everything. But you still have a lot of question marks out there on how each guy is going to fit their role and who's going to be the odd guy out. Yeah. On one of the previous shows, we, uh, we went over the offensive line and X's and bows. And we're going over the, uh, the running backs now. And they couldn't be more tied together they couldn't be more closely associated with the two. The success or failure there within with both of those units, if they're equally as important. And, and, John, when you look back at this football team last year and, uh, and what the season was, probably the, most, the, the two most glaring numbers that jump out to me were the lack of sacks. I think it was 23, uh, 23 sacks by the Dolphins as a team. And – the lack of yardage from the running backs when you've got um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, your, your leading rusher, 243. Kalen Balazs, um, you know, really didn't give you much of anything. Uh, Mark Walton, 200 yards. Patrick Laird, 168 yards. You know, this team didn't have 700 yards or 800 yards in total yardage for your entire running back group. And, John, that, that is a very, very unacceptable – and very, very disappointing number that is going to take this offensive line and this running back, you know, they're going to have to get a big effort out there to get it done. But, but I'm, I'm with you on, I like the addition of Jordan Howard. He gives you experience. He gives you carries. Uh, he's been on a number of teams. And, and I just remember watching the 49ers early last year and watching Matt Breida. And, you know, this guy's maybe as fast as anybody in the National Football League. Uh, he can break it from anywhere. Uh, you know, he's got, he's, got a, he's got a quick hit to the hole. And if he gets to that second level, he can really do some good things. So I think those two really add uh, a punch. Now, 
the, 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 the one guy that I look at, and I'm not sure if last year was the real thing or if we can expect more out of Kalen Balazs. But, you know, you saw some sparks of him prior to last year. But, boy, last year was, I think, I think he averaged, what, under two yards per rush. Uh, and that's not going to get it done. Patrick Laird, late in the season, showed you a couple flashes of doing some things. But, you know, I think it's going to take a lot for him to really become part of a rotation in, in that running game, unless there are some injuries. And the guy that I think that's, 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 that should interest everybody, whether you're looking for a slot receiver, whether you're looking for a running back, or whether you're looking for a kick returner, is, uh, is Malcolm Perry, the, the, the rookie out of, out of Navy, who can do a lot of different things and, and might be a guy that can, be, uh, uh, you know, can, can show you a lot of different things. Put, use him and put him in a lot of mismatches, whether it's at the slot, whether it's at the running back, coming out of the backfield and doing some different things like there, as well as running the football if they want to create some kind of a little option package with what he's come with what he's coming out of uh, from the midshipmen and, and what they've done during their, their time there. Well, I agree with you. It was highly disappointing what the Miami Dolphins did last year. And it starts, it stems from that offensive line uh, with Kalen Blage getting hit behind the line of scrimmage before he could even get going. It seemed like he was going sideways instead of for, forward and, and pressing the hole. So I think there's a combination in that. And you're hoping uh, we're all hoping that the offensive line improvement will help the running game so that Ryan Fitzpatrick does not have to be the leading rusher of the Miami Dolphins. I think that's a, a, a statistic and something he wants to take off of his back and shoulders this year in 2020. I, I do believe that combination, though, at the top of the list, Howard and Breida. Breida gives you that explosiveness. He gives you uh, that lightning in a bottle. He can hit you know, a home run from 70, 80, 90 yards away. And I think Howard's more the consistent plotter that's really good in the red zone, good in short yardage, can get you yards after contact. But I, I don't think we, we quite know what we have in Kalen Balazs, yeah. but it was disappointing last year, whether that's on him, the offensive line, or a combination of both. It just wasn't good enough to, to sustain and help out with play action, to help out with the passing game that you're looking for to offset what you need balance or, or just take some pressure off the passing game to be able to get some yards after contact. And with the other guys, I, I thought they were pretty good. I thought Gaskin came along late. I thought Laird came along late. They have some flashes of what they can do. It, it's all how they mesh with the guys that are at the, at the top of, of the food chain right now in the backfield. And that's the two guys with experience. Yeah. So somehow this team, uh, whether it's one guy or whether it's four guys, somehow out of that offensive, out of that running back room, they've got to get 1,500 plus yards on the ground. I, I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, it's, you know, whether someone's gets, someone gets 1,000 or two guys get 500, another couple guys. And Bo, I would even say, you know, throw in uh, run after catch opportunities on screens and dunk exactly. check downs and all that stuff. It has to add up, yeah. you know, to, to being much more productive than it was last year. To your it, you know, it doesn't need to be a team that's, Hey, it's going to be Jordan Howard's our starter, and Breida. You know, they put put them both in the backfield. Put Gas. You know, mix. You know, and, and I would expect this offense um, under Chan Gailey to do some of that. Put them in situations where you've got a Jordan Howard or, or a Matt Breida and a Malcolm Perry in the backfield, and, and, and send them out and do different things. I know one thing that's got to happen with these guys, John. It's got to happen pretty quickly, uh, especially with if Tua, depending on what his you know, what, what his starting day is going to be, whether he's going to start at all this season, whether he's going to start 
later in the season, whether they go through training camp and he beats out Ryan Fitzpatrick as a start at the beginning of the season, whenever that happens, you know, that offensive line or that offensive line in conjunction with that, uh, with that, that group of running backs, you know, they've got to protect. They've got to be better protecting the blitz, the running backs in particular. They've got to have you, – you, know, you know how it is, John. You can have a guy that can give you some nice yards every now and then, but if he can't step up and protect your quarterback in the blitz, he's really not that good – they're not, not very good for you. So along with the running game, along with trying to give this, op- this team an opportunity to be second and four, second and three, second and six, those types of situations, you know, they're going to have to – run the football well, but they're going to have to do their job when it comes to protecting on blitz, blitz pickups, and they've got to stick their head in there and prove that they want to get the job done. Yeah, well-rounded at the running back position. You have to do a little bit of everything, and that includes stepping up sometimes and taking on a safety or a linebacker. And it doesn't have to be dominant all the time. You just have to be able to sustain, to be able to be in the right place at the right time and give your quarterback that room in the pocket just – to be able to move and maneuver and, and find some room within the pocket, to be able to get rid of the football and get it out on time. And uh, I would expect Howard to, to take the majority of that stuff. Brita as your third down kind of scat back uh, doing some things like that. But all of them at some point are going to be asked to step up and do that job. So I'm, I'm quite sure with, with the limited time in pads and without preseason, those guys are going to have to get real proficient in protecting the quarterback uh, deeper into training camp. Yeah, a lot, a lot of and a lot of communication between that offensive line and what they're doing and these guys and and it's you know it's, it's you know these guys don't now have all played in like Brita and Howard they've all played in this RPO you know run pass option type of offense spread offense so they know what to do maybe some of those offensive line and some of the young guys need to kind of get going to take them a while but you know I, I'm excited about the group I'm excited about both groups on paper. I just hope that after four weeks of training camp, I'm still as excited about, about <laughs> it as I am right now. Because I think, I think from a personnel standpoint, I think this team's done a good job both in free agency and the draft when it comes to running backs. And they've done the same thing on the offensive line. Uh, adding, adding free agents and then peppering in those, those, those young guys that, uh, uh, you know, you got, you know, you, you got a first round, uh, first round guy that should, could, should be your starting left tackle. Uh, you probably got at least one more Hunt or one of these other guys that's going to start either at the right or left guard or left tackle, uh, and, and then some other guys to compete. So, uh, you know, I, I think with Austin Jackson and that group coming in and with the, and with the veterans uh, that they've signed in free agency, uh, there's no reason that that offensive line shouldn't be much better. And, and I would be disappointing this offensive this, – this group of running backs – isn't a lot more productive than what we saw last year. Well, I, I think so, Bo. I, I think that there's only one way to go with, with both groups, and that's up, because the Dolphins can't win with any consistency if they're going to uh, be as poor as they were on a consistent basis, week in and week out, with the running yards per carry, uh, yards after first contact, and being able to protect your quarterback, and, and lastly, be able to create a crease and the offensive line, you know, somewhere along the line of scrimmage where those backs, whether it's Brita hitting it quickly or Howard bouncing off a couple people or, you know, it's Balazs kind of getting going without getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, that those two units work in unison, and it's not going to work if the guys up front 
can't do it uh, with any more consistency. So you're right, they're tied at the hip, both offensive line and running back. And we're not going to be able to go from, you know, the Philadelphia preseason game to the New Orleans and say, we made great improvement there. This is going to be from practice to scrimmages to walkthroughs to week one uh, on the road against the New England Patriots. So this is going to be a big jump for some of those guys. John, the one guy we didn't talk about, Chandler Cox, the fullback that they brought in last year. And then uh, I kind of had high hopes for him. Uh, and, and it kind of, as the season went along, he became more distant and more distant uh, in, the, in the package. You know, you didn't see him that much. And, and, and I, don't think he, I don't think his production was quite what they expected. And I think his playing time, uh, you know, reflected that. Um, and I don't know where he fits. You know, I, I, you know to me, a fullback – I like a fullback, but with today's game, is it needed? I mean, they're basically obsolete for the most part in the National Football League. The question is, can he do enough? Can he improve enough? Did he improve enough between the end of last season and, and with training camp starting on, on the 28th? Has he done enough to make himself more valuable in somebody that they say, we can't get rid of him. He just, you know, he, he provides something that we don't get from somewhere else, whether it's that lead block in short yardage, whether it's carrying the ball in short yardage, whether it's coming out of the backfield, whether it's protecting, you know, he's, it's going to be up to him to earn his spot and, 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 and basically create a spot for him this year, because I don't think it's a spot of need. I don't think it's a necessity, but they've got one. I know they weren't happy with, I know they weren't overjoyed with him last year, so I think there's got to be a big leap forward if he wants to establish himself as part of this roster. I think the biggest question with, with Chandler Cox is, is he a viable option yeah. in what Chan Gailey wants to do with this offense? You know, is, does he have a spot uh, in, a, in an RPO type of setting? Is he more blending in to a, a, a tight end slash special teams guy that's going to be a lead blocker on, on certain formations, either goal line or short yardage? I, I think he has the athletic ability to do a little bit of both. And, and quite frankly, the Dolphins are kind of slim at that tight end spot for what he gives you. You know, you have big bodies. You got some guys that strictly block. But this is a guy that did a little bit of everything when he was at Auburn, didn't have a chance to do it last year in the Dolphins' offensive scheme. Now, what is Coach Gailey going to do? And, and what is he going to put on Chandler's plate? Does he have enough opportunity to make this roster and are they going to use that position a little bit more this year than last year? I think those are all questions we're going to look for at training camp. And we'll find out pretty soon as they get out in the field and not sure if we're going to be there, not sure what's going to happen. I think everything's still, it's funny because it's right around the corner and everything's still up in the air. And That's and right. No one knows anything, but we, we know they're going to be out there working and whether we're there or not, whether we get to see how much we get to see, we'll find out. I know the fans aren't going to be available. They're not going to be allowed at training camp and, Certainly a disappointment for the fans and I think for the players too to have the fans around. But look, it is what it is. We're going to play football and and this and that. And, and talking about uh, a couple other things uh, to to clean up here, John. Before is just uh, a couple things too. You know, the practice squad is going to be a lot more flexible this year, uh, allowing guys to come and go from that practice squad with a lot more fluidity back and forth. And John, I believe I think I heard that the uh, injured reserve is going to the number is going to expand. Uh, and to where, um, if, my, if, if what I've heard and read is correct, that if somebody does test positive during the season, they could go on IR for three weeks. Once they, once they test negative for two tests, then they can come back 
after a three-week period. And, and I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good decision by uh, by the the people running the league. Well, you have to have some kind of resource when when guys are going to get sick, guys are going to get hurt, and you're you're going to have to have, have some flexibility both in the practice roster and guys that are on IR. And I think that's a perfect blend of what you need because you have to have that flexibility. If a guy didn't have an ACL, he didn't have an Achilles, he didn't have a, a career or a season-ending injury, he's going to be able to come back from COVID and be able to go on IR for a couple of weeks, hopefully be able to test negative and then come right back on the roster. So, and you're going to have guys that are going to have the regular flu that aren't going to be down for uh, maybe a, a week or two. So you're not going to want to have guys uh, in the locker room, in the room. You need a bigger roster on that practice squad to be able to pull guys from and, and other teams can't kind of pluck your best players. You're going to have some kind of stability on IR or stability on a practice roster that you're not used to in, in years past. Yeah, John, we normally wrap this thing up with a little story time and might as well talk about running backs. And uh, you know, I was fortunate to, uh, to, to spend 10 years with the Dolphins and played against a lot of great running backs. I, I still say Earl Campbell may be the best player I ever played against, played against Chuck Muncy, O.J. Simpson, Franco Harris. Um, I mean, you go on and on and on, so the, the, the great running backs. But when I think about the Dolphin running backs, I also had the opportunity to play with, with some great running backs. Delvin Williams, Larry Zonk when he came back for a year, Benny Malone, played with Benny for a, for a couple of years. But the guy that, I, I, that, that, that to me was, you know, was the most productive back that I think that I had the opportunity to play with and really one of the great guys and really one of the great Dolphins of all time was number 22, Tony Nathan. Uh, Tony came out of Alabama. I believe he was a second or third round draft pick. Um, he came in, came to the Dolphins. And that was in an era where we picked up uh, Dwight Stevenson, Don McNeil, and Tony Nathan, three guys, and Bob Baumhauer, all out of Alabama. And all of them played a major, major part in the success that this football team had in the 70s and 80s. But, you know, Tony to me is one of those guys that, um, it just doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, he did everything. He blocked well. He caught the ball as well as anybody. He was, they used to run, we used to run that halfback short option, and which I hated. And I, and I had to try to cover him in practice. <laughs> never could do it. I usually tried to grab his jersey and trip him or, or do something stupid like that. But, uh, you know, Tony made some, had some big games and big times and really a, really a good runner for us. And I just remember sitting back, and I'd, I'd get him to plane and, Tony always sat in the very back of the plane, last seat, right back by the, uh, by the bathrooms back there in the bulkhead. And he had two seats to himself. And I always used to go back there and I used to get, it was the, I called it the ice room. <laughs> Tony would be, Tony would have so much ice wrapped around him that you could hardly see him sometimes. But, but that's how he played. You know, he, he played every down. Uh, he was a three down guy. As I said, he would, he would block as hard as he would run. Uh, and he was a smart player, knew everything, and, and a really fortunate to play with a, with a guy like Tony Nathan to the career, who really had a lot of great success with his football team. And like I said, I think to me, probably one of the more underrated players uh, that the Dolphins have had on their, uh, on their roster in the, in the entire history of the football team. And, uh, you know, he had a, he's got a movie out. He had a movie out that came out a couple years ago called Woodlawn, uh, and it's a great, if you know, watch it, look at, I mean, look, hell, everyone's all they got to do is watch TV now. You know, I so know. Woodlawn and, uh, and look it up, Woodlawn. And uh, it's a story about Tony coming out of high school in segregated, segregated Alabama, 
and that whole situation and and his commitment to uh you know, to his commitments to to um to to to, to his his uh, his god his con, con, uh, commitment to his family his commitment to his wife when she he met her in high school and his commitment to be the best player that he could be for whoever he was playing for and it's just a story it's a great story about one of the great dolphins of all time and if uh, if people haven't seen it i would i would recommend it highly during this time where heck you got nothing to do but watch tv watch something that's really good uh, and, and take a look at at woodlawn with tony nathan you know what's cool you know you mentioned the uh the list of running backs that you were with Bo, at your time with the dolphins either just when you got there or just after and tony nathan is one of those guys that seemed like he did everything and he yep. and he kind of opened up that type of position for a Miami Dolphins running back. You know, you go back to the early years and you think about, you know, Merck and Zonk and, yep. and Jim Kick and, and the way that that, that trio kind of got it done uh, for the Miami Dolphins over their heyday, over the glory years of the Miami Dolphins. And then you got to that next, that next set of running backs and Tony Nathan really made what Jim Jensen did, made, made it look easy because yep. Tony Nathan did all of those things uh, for Don Strock and, and for David Woodley and whoever was playing quarterback, you know, at, at the at the beginning, and, and then all of a sudden that that position kind of oh, everybody had to have a guy like Tony Nathan yeah. because you, you were running those option routes and you had guys in space and you had you know linebackers that weren't weren't really used to going out and covering a guy man to man. It was always zone, you know, basically zone. Then you got a chance to go man to man. It was more of a, a mismatch for certain guys. So I, I always remember watching Tony and just being in awe of the, how easy he made everything look. And you're right. I don't think he deserved he, – he got the credit he deserved uh, because he did just about everything a running back could do, and he did it at a high level. And uh, there's been so many great running backs, you know, through the history of the Miami Dolphins. But, boy, I put, my, I put Tony Nathan up against any of them and say he, he did just about everything he wanted to do. Yeah, no doubt about him. Just, uh, just a wonderful guy. So uh, good, to, good to remember and reflect on uh, on Tony Nathan, and good to talk about. Uh, it's good to talk about football right around the corner, John. I, I don't know what it's going to be next time we come on next week. Uh, things could be dramatically different. They could be the same. Uh, another thing, John, before we go, uh, is the uh, you know, the the, uh, the the Washington franchise changing their name, and, and I think it's. I think it's due time. I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, you know, we played against Washington in the Super Bowl. I, I remember, you know, watch, growing up watching, watching Redskins when the, you know, Sonny Jurgensen and Billy Kilmer and, and those guys and those great football teams that they had up there. Um, but uh, I, I think they're, they're doing the right thing. Uh, not really, you know, not really, not, you know, I was looking for a little snazzy, snazzy nickname to, to rechange, but the, I guess they're going to go with the Washington football team for a while. I guess, yeah. Which, which to me is pretty asinine, but I, I know it's short order, and I know that's not going to be the, uh, the name is going forward, but uh, changes are happening, and uh, you know, changes are happening all around the world, and, uh, and this is just part of it, and, and I think it's for the better. I think it's better for the league. It's better for the Washington franchise, and I think it's better for, uh, for the fans and everybody involved. I just hope that they're, they're able to come up with a nickname that people can all embrace yeah. and, and they like. You know, I know that uh, the Seattle hockey franchise just came out with a nickname, and I was kind of scratching yeah. my head uh, uh, about that one. But I'm just hoping that, you know, the fans of the Washington team yeah. now 
can embrace a nickname and, and, and come together around it because I, I guess as a kid, I never really took much credence in nicknames. I always, you know, felt like that was just an athletic name for, yeah. for something, you know, and I, I never really uh, felt passion one way or the other because I just thought it was a name of a, a franchise, a, a form of entertainment that I was watching, you know, yeah. like the Vikings were always my team, uh, you know, growing up, but I didn't yeah. realize a, what, what really a Viking did way yeah. back yeah. when, you know, yeah. so yeah. I was just a fan of the, of the yeah. team and the colors and, and, and that's how easy it was for me. Yeah, yeah I, you know, my, my first, I remember, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, um, I was a Stanford fan. I like Stanford. The only reason I like Stanford is because it was the first place, first college football game I'd ever gone to see. A big stadium, you know, in Stanford. They're playing USC or somebody. And I, I, I wanted to go to Stanford. And then, and then I sent out my transcripts. And, and, oh, by the way, I'm still waiting to hear back from them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, send them now, Bo. Send them now. <laughs> I, I you're you're much smarter now than you were then. I'm guaranteeing. I got a letter from them. They said, "Can you send your transcripts?" And that's the last I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I remember when I went when I went and watched Stanford. They were these Stanford Indians uh, originally, and uh, and I never, you know, I never, I liked their uniforms. I liked the colors. I never. Right. Played, but then, and then they eventually changed it to the Stanford Cardinal because. You know, the, the, some of their students and, and, and people that, you know, felt it was so. So this is, this is nothing new. It's, it's done, been done before, and it's been done a number of times at the collegiate level, less so at the, at the professional level. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 up to, it's, it's, it's about time where the NFL and these wrestling sports get up to, get up to the whatever century we're in now, 21st, 22nd. I don't even know anymore what century we're <laughs> in because whatever it is, I ain't going to last to the end of this one. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But, um, just getting up to date, I guess, and and, yeah. and and changing with the times and and doing what's right. More importantly, doing what's right. Yeah, I I echo that, and I just I'm so happy that we're able to start getting closer to some semblance of football and yeah. training camp, and hopefully, you know, the, the COVID nineteen around the country starts to calm down a little bit more, and we can we can open up a little bit yeah. more and and start to enjoy uh, human to human, uh, you know correspondence and being able just to do things a little bit closer to normal and which football will be. I know that, you know, hockey starts around the corner. Baseball is going to start uh, very soon. Basketball is in their kind of preseason you know, playing games and uh, the NFL right around the corner with training camp. So, uh, you know, it's a good time right now for hopefully the country, if that can just get those numbers down a little bit and, and people can enjoy what's out there. Well, you know what, it, it's an, and I know it's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject out there, but, uh, you know, you, you know, I, I've come to, I don't say embrace it, but, you know, I wear a mask everywhere I go, uh, everywhere I'm in public with people, I wear a mask. And I think if, if all of us would do that, and I know there's a segment of our population and populations around the world that just are completely adamant against it. I don't understand why, but you know, you, you believe what you believe. But uh, I think if, you know, if everyone would, would bite the bullet and just put the masks on whenever, whenever you're around people, maybe this thing will be over sooner than later. And if not, sure hope so. wait, and see, wait and see what happens. I sure hope so, because it seems like for everyone, it's been uh, a very difficult, you know, four, four months, five months, and, and you're hoping that, uh, you know, any, anything 
every individual can do to, to help suppress it would, would be tremendous. Well, I know football's right around the corner, July 28th, training camps start, everyone will be watching. But more importantly, John, you and I, we're back on the air. People That's can right. Again, instead of listening, they can look at our ugly pusses every uh, <laughs> once a week and go, what are those guys doing on, <laughs> on the air? And I can't get on there. Well, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We'll see you next year, next week on the Audible again. You can see us face to face then. For God, John Kajami, I'm Kim Camper. For Logan McCall, Jeff Griffin, for all, thanks for all your help. And Johnny, we'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good, Bo. Bye, right, pal.